You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. Hey, 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 uh, back again, <laughs> this is uh, your grinding to crime host, Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gab, and Todd Fox, and we are back, it's been a while, but um, we're here, we're here, I uh, want to let you guys know where you can find us real quick, you can follow our page on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just type in Grinding True Crimes, and there you can like our page, follow our page, leave a comment on our page, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Um, If you want to listen to us on our podcast stream, just go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and Podvine. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Ladies and gentlemen, we finally have a Patreon account. So no more cash app, no more PayPal. You can just, if you like what you hear and you want to support your favorite crime podcast, just go to any of our platforms and we have the link to our Podbean uh, Patreon account. And if you want to support what we do, feel free to do what you want to do. <laughs> so we finally have a Patreon account. Um, all that being said, on a serious note, Myself, Gabby, and Ty, we have been experiencing a lot of serious situations that's going on in our lives. That's why we haven't recorded in a long time. So please bear with us, and we apologize for the delay. With that being said, we are going to postpone this month's live. I know a couple of people were asking when we were going live, because we promised we would go twice a month. But with the unforeseen occurrences that uh, bestowed upon all of us in our families, we are going to have to postpone for this month, but we will keep you updated when we will have our live for possibly next month. Okay. Um, with all that being said, we hope you guys enjoy what we do and we appreciate all the love and support that you um, give us. And by the way, I wanted to give a shout out to Chungi. Thank you, Chungi, for being our very first Patreon uh, member to, uh, sign up for, with us uh thank you chungi I want, I want to thank you we all want to thank you for uh supporting what we do absolutely okay with that being said by the way if you ever leave a comment or want us to shout out to you or you want us to shout out to anybody from your you know friends or anything leave a comment and we will we love shout outs we love our fans and we love to uh show love um because you guys love us too okay i'm out of breath <laughs> <laughs> so with all that being said um today narrating will be me that is ty fox <laughs> <laughs> officer and officer story. johnson's and all his other stories so uh <laughs> todd fox will be breaking down his story for today so todd you have the floor thank you sir 
yeah we, we want to get back to these shows uh more regular it's just schedules will change family occurrences so yeah we're, we're working through it and we should be set hopefully here in july uh moving forward but we're gonna struggle to get through the rest of june uh, yes let's be honest uh, <laughs> so with that being said tonight's story we're going to talk about a man who was truly depraved and as much as uh he wanted to paint his childhood as the blame for the reason why he came out the way he did we don't buy it because in all actuality just like my sister's effed up life and i like to throw that out there why you do that because she's a douche um <laughs> you uh <laughs> You have choices you make, and uh, those choices, you know, my mom, my dad at the time, myself, we don't control her life, just like the guy we're going to talk about tonight. Although he went through some crap, according to him and everything else, he made choices in life that he was given that free choice to either keep those demons inside his head and just move along, because there's a lot of people out there that have issues, and they can control it to an extent. Uh, they reach out, get therapy, they reach out and get help. Or, or they commit themselves, things like that, and um, they get through it, and they don't harm anybody, or they don't harm it their selves. But, but the one percent, five percent, whatever you want to call serial killers or abusive people, they they tend to take those demons and run with them, and then use them as an excuse after they're caught. So, Absolutely. By the way, before you get started, Todd, I wanted to say. Listener's discretion is advised. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. Yeah, you're going to need... This might be another one. Yeah, this might be an interesting one. <clears throat> yeah, this one you're going to... Uh, listener will, Listener's discretion is advised. And also, there is uh, crimes against children in this one. So, I, so, uh, so if, you're, if you're not... Uh, if you're a little squeamish on that, I don't blame you. I, I would step out. But uh, if you're willing right. to ride with us, let's do it. Yeah, we, we will it. All right. Well, let's. Well, you guys, you guys don't have a choice. Yeah, we have no choice. <laughs> I'll be right. angry for sure. I think so. I think so. I think Gabby's uh, getting ready for the wings uh, to be yeah. chopped off. <laughs> She's sharpening those knives right now. Right I as we speak. To say, wait a minute. Why are the wings plural? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> oh man. So so yeah. Some people have the choice to either control it or not. And uh, I think the not wanting to control it is who we're going to talk about tonight. And the person we're going to tr- uh, talk about is another Joseph. Like, how many Josephs have we done? Dude, Joseph, 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 Joseph. Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Joseph. I love Joe quite, by the way. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No, nah, it's cool. We, we've just had so many Josephs on here. I mean, Joseph D- James D'Angelo, the freaking. Mm-hmm. You know, the serial killer from California, obviously, Golden State Killer. I mean, there's so many. We just did a Joseph James Schaefer in the last story yeah. we did. Mm-hmm. What the heck? It's always a Joseph, John Wayne, um, John's, Richard, John's. yeah, Richards, yep. yep, yep. There's there's certain names out there, but and also as we've learned too, certain uh, birthdays as well, right, Gabby? Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. They all like to join me on my month. Oh, November's. No wonder why you like cutting those wings. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, at least my hate is toward the monsters, not the innocent. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Joseph Edward Duncan. So Donuts. Yeah, not Dunkin' Donuts, but uh, <laughs> he's actually the third. So he's, he's the third Joseph Edward Duncan. 
Um, he was born on February 25th, uh, 1963 in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, mm. His father, being a military captain, Joseph Edward Duncan II, would often move a lot because he was stationed uh, in the military, and so he would go cross-country from base to base. But uh, him and his wife would get a uh, assignment in Tacoma, Washington, so over there where Jeff Howe lives. Shout-out to Jeff! Yep, shout-out to Jeff. Um, so most of his adult or his young adult life was spent in Tacoma, that's just outside Seattle, Washington. And lately there's been a lot of uh, dead bodies found up in the forest. A lot of, uh, they're trying to tie that to a uh, serial killer. And then we posted about a serial, serial killer in Oregon. So it's uh, stay out of the Pacific Northwest if you're a woman wanting to jog in the mountains by yourself or, mm -hmm. or be by yourself. Always have a friend up there. It's a lot of serial killers are up there right now. Yep. So... But that's a story for another day. We'll talk about that one if there's ever any justice on those. <clears throat> but let's get back to Joseph Edward Duncan III. He was the fourth of uh, five siblings born to Joseph Edward Duncan II, like I said, and Lily Mae Duncan, his mom. His mom would play a part in this story as we move forward. Mm. Uh, he has three older sisters and one younger brother. <clears throat> um, Duncan's mother, Lillian, was described by a ton of people around the community and her, and her uh, sibling or her kids as being an overbearing overbearing ruler of the household um, very abusive to the kids talked back to the husband uh, she was clearly in control even though her husband was military dang so she was an aggressive one she was a very much so aggressive one yes <laughs> so she uh she ruled the household and everyone just fell in line apparently so oh so she was like a tyrant yeah yeah um he um uh, he was he says he was mentally abused by his mother and sexually abused well what yeah um he said at the ages between six and ten years old uh especially he had objects used on him and forced Ooh. to perform uh, sexual acts on his mother. Hey, man. Stop the show right here. It's over. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question. Nope. The answer's not. No. <laughs> Clearly, it's both horrible, but I don't know why, okay, a man abusing his daughter, I obviously, it's disgusting. Of course. It's like the lowest thing to abuse your own children, especially sexually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you hear of a mother abusing her little boy, what about that little boy is so damn attractive to you that you want to do sexual things with it? Mm. I don't have I don't an know. answer for that. I mean, that that just doesn't cross any logical person's mind. You know what I mean? Like. But you know what I mean? Like, the connection of a mother to her child is something lifelong. It's something you can't explain, and that attachment will always be there. Like, there's something a mother shares with her children because they came from her body. Mm -hmm. So, that's why I'm saying I don't... They're both horrible, but it's even more sickening that it's the mother. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, the mother's supposed to be the nurturing one. The nurturing one, yeah. Yep. But um, 
nah, this this was argued for years after when everything you know was hitting the fan. But his one of his older sisters, Sherry, backs up his claims, and when uh, she said she was witness to a lot of the things that he was stating, because one oh. thing that we'll get to know about uh, Duncan is the fact that, uh, and I'm going to call him Duncan the rest of the way, um, okay. is the fact that basically he writes a journal. He likes writing journals, and when you know things get into the 2000s he starts writing online uh, blogs, you know, when blogging was a thing. So he'll detail a lot of the things that happened to him in very graphic detail as well. So, yeah. Um, I kind of feel bad for him for right now, but I'm sure I won't later. No, you better not later. (laughs) But, uh, but right now, yeah, he's, he's stating the obvious that he was abused. Um, His younger or his one of his younger brother, said that those statements weren't true he never witnessed any of that so there's always been that rift in the family but um but no this was this was a writing was like a retreat for him um it was able to he was able to put his thoughts and wishes and and desires to paper and it would get him away from the overbearing life that he was uh you know or or how he was getting treated by his mother you know his mother would you know beat him with you know with all kinds of things and beat his siblings and like he's like i said like sexually abuse him so it was an outlet for him to write things down um but this was something that changed in him as he started to get a little older though um he was felt so he felt so weak and vulnerable by his mom and just not important not loved um he began to have really big fits of anger and the fact that he had no control, no power, no purpose, this is all according to him, um, that he needed to lash out, that he needed to take it out on somebody. Somebody needed to pay. He wasn't going to take it out on the abuser, which was his mom. No, somebody else had to pay. I mean, although that's who he should have taken it out on. Oh. Yep. So a 12-year-old Duncan at this point, who do you think he takes it out on? Um, at this age, I'm going to say uh, the family pet. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna say a family pet, probably the dog. Gabby? I'm gonna say just animals in general. Well, you guys would both be wrong. Go away. Yeah, you guys would both be wrong. Um, he does not take it out on animals. Period. Oh, wow. He jumps ahead. Little girls. In 1975, at the age of 12, he would document his first sexual encounter. And mind you, from here, it's kind of hard to listen to again. But uh, it's strongly advised from right here. If you want to jump off here. Oh, oh, I have an idea. It was a five-year-old boy after kidnapping him from his own yard. Oh, my God. Um, I'll spare you the details, well, which he did write down, and you can actually find online. Um, but he did sexually abuse this child in many different uh. ways. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. See, I don't get that. I will never understand it. Like, the thing you go through that you hate the most, that's really messing you up, you're going to go put somebody else through it. Mm-hmm. I guess he got it became normal to him. 
yeah, I mean, he's angry. He wants to take it out on other people. He wants other people to feel what he feels. But I'm saying, if you hate it that much and it's damaging you that much, why on earth would you want to do that to another person? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tick. I mean, me and me and uh, Matt have talked about that. Your first sexual experience sometimes is the one that you like the most. You know, just for most people, it's a kosher thing. It's like a it's a different thing, whether it's something like uh, orally or, or a certain position or whatever, you you know, whether you're with a man or a female. It's just, you know, it's something that you like. But in this case, I'm with you, Gabby. It's like it's obviously wrong, but he wants to, you know, that's his niche now, whether it's because of his mom or however it came about. That's his thing now. He's already sick. Yeah, he's already sick because now he knows like he he can take his power out and assert it on somebody vulnerable just like he was. And so that's uh-huh. that's what he's doing. So Yeah. So according to him also in his journal, uh, another occurrence would happen when his father had enough of his mother and divorced her 4 years later when he was in high school, sophomore. Um, his father moved on to another base, leaving him and his siblings uh, at the uh, hands of his mother, who was still abusive, abusive at this point. Um, he was attached to his father in a way. He looked up to him because when he was around, uh, the mother didn't abuse him in any way. So that's why he he, he had a hard time dealing with now the, the any kind of control he had was gone. Any kind of like normalcy was gone. And he was stuck at the mercy of his mother. Yeah, now he wouldn't escape whatever the hell she has planned. So what do you think he gets into now to cope with it? Drugs. Drugs and alcohol. You guys are both right. Can he can he name me the drugs though? Uh I'm gonna say heroin. Oh, heroin, okay. Gabby? go with coke guys are close but both wrong uh he started he started with a gateway drug weed because back then it was a gateway drug i was Um, gonna say that damn it (laughs) (laughs) he started with 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 weed but then he hit like the sport mode on your car he went to lsd and pcp well that'll do it (laughs) yeah doesn't that get you crazy that's LSD, PCP, brother. Yeah, LSD makes you hallucinate up the butt. Oh, yeah. And then PCP makes you feel like on another level. Like, God. You remember God. that skit with uh, Dave Chappelle and uh, uh, Wayne, uh, Wayne Brady? Yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's all hopped up on these drugs. And, you know, back, even back then, LSD and PCP is not cheap. You know, even weed's not cheap back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so around the same time, Duncan would have his second forcible rape on a child when he borrowed uh, from, I guess, his dad's leftover stuff at the house, a handgun, and kidnapped a nine-year-old walking back from school and would rape him uh, in the backwoods of a uh, an apartment complex. And you said he's in high school right now? He's in high school right now, yeah. Ugh. And so he got a nine-year-old at this time. And this one would go undocumented as well. Uh-oh. So the poor kid suffered the abuse and never spoke up. Damn. Um, 
but he did get arrested later that month because um, after you know the sexual assault, he was trying to steal a car to, you know, support his drug habits, and um, so he he was sent to juvenile hall and uh, a detention detox center uh, because he was heavily into the drugs. He spent six months there. Um, wow. Yeah, he spent six months there, and uh, you know was having to to you know. Uh, do his schooling from there too and um, they released him back to his mother though oh wow and he told him yeah he told him he didn't want to go back to his mom and his dad didn't want him or any of his other siblings either so he was kind of screwed right there Mm. so um, he was released just uh, just short of his 18th birthday Um, so his you know his birthday being in February he's still 17 in the in late 1980 and after he graduated high school his first thing he wanted to do was to enlist in the air force to keep the tradition of his father and his grandfather in the military of some sort um but because he had a juvenile record of theft and drug use um the air force turned him down some figures and that's gonna piss him off right absolutely gabby i think you're seeing a trend here so Looking to lash out now after an obvious setback in his life uh, is the only way he knew how to react and to adjust to the actions and frustrations and situations that came to him. Well, because of all that crap, he needs to take it out on somebody. Yep. Oh, Lord. Yep. So um, he had a neighbor, and this isn't de- – with all the detail in his journal – he never posts or says why the or how he knew that the neighbor had such a huge gun collection and also never said why he had a huge porn collection. And so one day, Duncan went over to his neighbor's house when his neighbor was at work and he broke into his house, broke into where he held the, all his guns, stole four pistols and his entire porn collection the dude had. Dang. <laughs> yeah. So he's all bang bang some porn. <laughs> so uh I bet the neighbor was like, How dare you, man? Yeah. Speaking of, should I just play it now? Yeah, why not? How dare you? So this guy. <laughs> so so uh, that's the first sound bite ever. Um first sound bite. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the real theft. The real theft was the four pistols, not the porn. Um, the four pistols came with thousands of rounds of bullets. Oh. So stealing this was just a way to fuel his intense drug habit. He was literally going to ca- uh, carry just one pistol for himself and maybe like a round of bullets, um, you know, as, as in, in the, for the pistol and then sell everything else. <clears throat> um uh, but but he's this this wasn't this wasn't floating his boat. This may have given him or given him a drug uh, you know uh, drug high, but this wasn't gonna feed his sexual desires. So he took in all that stuff. He took in it. <laughs> yeah, he took in it all for a reason. <laughs> and um, he he stashed the rest of the stuff at his house so that he could use it later on for to sell it for drugs. Mm-hmm. took the pistol with a round of bullets and he went looking for another victim um as he was 
walking around the, the blocks, you know, not even far from his house, he found a 14-year-old just coming off a bus. The bus took off. He was walking home from school, and at gunpoint, he took him into the bushes and raped the boy uh, mercilessly and also uh, beat him a little bit as well. Um, as soon as he got his, he was in no rush. He kindly let the boy up, let him get dressed, and he got himself dressed and just walked down the street. No rush, not trying to run, nothing. So he wasn't trying to, like, get rid of them. Like, they might say something. Exactly. At this point, he was like, he felt untouchable. Oh. Whether it was a drug high or whatever it was, he was just like, eh, I'm going to go about my business. But the thing was, it's not really clear to this day either whether it was the neighbor who called the police on Duncan or the kid that called the police on Duncan. Either way, he was found guilty for both. Um, He was arrested as soon as he got to his house. So his mom was surprised, and then she couldn't believe the things he was getting charged for but really yeah she couldn't believe it of all people her mother of the year right (laughs) not my son i don't know where he got it from exactly she what he takes the cake oh yeah yeah he should have been arrested so just after his 18th birthday he was charged with rape first degree rape and kidnapping but we have a johnson uh Oh dear. Oh Lord. Always. Why do they end up where they end up? Because of idiots that let them go. Yep. The judge was like, hey man, since this is your first offense, I'm going to give you a break. You're facing 20 years, young man. But if you go to a sexual reformatory facility, basically you could be (laughs) out in about a year. So, the are you ju- kidding me? Yeah, he took it. He took <laughs> the African it. Johnson must be Goofy's kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's here's the problem though. They thought this was his first event. You know, they thought, okay, he just had a drug problem. Um, he wasn't in the right mind. He did some crazy stuff. That was it. This kid's a clean kid. The mom never said, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm I'm." putting things in his uh, nether regions I'm touching him he's doing things to me and we, we're having a, a really disgusting relationship no she never said that and he never copped to the other two rapes mm. or the, other, the other three rapes I should say so mm-hmm. yeah wait so the mom is still abusing him at this point that was debated it was more he talked about that more about in his younger life but he's he was still getting at least beaten you know, by the mother at this point. In high school? Out of high school. Out of high school? Oh, man, I'm sorry. (laughs) So, um, yeah, they had no ideas about this stuff. They never found his journals at the time. None of that was... uh, The the Johnsons that were police officers didn't go into his room. Nothing like that. So they had... Had they done that, they would have found all his journals and what he was really into. Yeah, he probably would have been gone, and so would the mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, he was supposed to go and complete at least three to five years of this intense therapy to get him re-released at hopefully the age of 22 or 23. 
because this is what the judge wanted for him. So in year two of the therapy, the therapist would pretty, were, were pretty much at this point giving up on him because he was non-responsive, didn't care, showed no shine, signs of remorse, wasn't paying attention to the the group meetings, uh, tried to escape the facility on numerous occasions. Um, he he was like the, the 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 doctors were over him and he was over them. So in late 1982, he actually went to the judge and filed a motion and said, I would like to be, um, I would like to go to jail. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not learning anything. I don't like the place. So he had minimum security facility, his own room. Nobody messed with him. Uh, he had just had to endure the therapy until he showed signs and then they would release him. Like in, like I said, in two to five years at max right mm -hmm. he chose to do jail time so when he volunteered to do this his 20-year sentence was invoked mm. so you're thinking okay good end of story f that guy right yeah mm -hmm. right he did not serve that <laughs> you'd be surprised but check this out what happens to him though um so it's like when he pulled up uh i don't know if you remember that movie well it's it's an obscure movie but wrongfully accused with leslie nielsen they come off the bus to the the state prison and all the guys are whistling at him and they're all fresh meat and everything else like that well that's what happened to this guy duncan got off duncan got off the bus and he's like 150 pounds maybe he's six foot something so he's very slender and it doesn't take long before people find out he's a child molester. Ooh. Dang. And he's in he's in um, not solitary confinement like we do nowadays with sexual offenders. He's in general pop. He's with the, ask everybody. He's me. with the men. Yeah, exactly. And then he was asking himself every morning, man, why is it every morning I wake up my asshole hurts? You know, because he was getting raped. On a consistent basis. Oh, jeez. Yeah, he was he was getting uh, he was getting attacked, beaten, and raped. So he was getting put pushed around, and uh, passed around. At the I mean, he likes boys. Didn't he enjoy that? Well, that's I don't what, know if he's the bottom or the top. Oh, he was the bottom. Uh, he was the bottom. Uh, yeah, he he would uh, put in detail how many times he got raped, and on certain occasions it was worse than others so if, uh, you want, if you want to look that up there's that as well <laughs> i'll go <laughs> but uh despite being um you know pretty much probed more than a vegas person by alien supposedly you're um, <laughs> <laughs> so disrespectful Tom. <laughs> the parole board is like hey you're fine you need to go home now it's been 14 years 1994 why don't you get yourself some teal clothes, watch some Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and uh, enjoy the sunshine? So he's like, so okay. he served fourteen years. He served fourteen years. Wow, I'm in, I'm shocked. Gotta love the U.S. justice system. Gotta you love it. Yep. So uh, he was turned over to a uh, halfway house, and um, he actually got um, he he actually was in the mindset of doing right. And uh, he, he realized, you know, he paid for he, he never wants to go back to prison again. So in the halfway house, he was having a hard time finding a job, but he got a job at a library where he met a librarian and uh, she became his girlfriend. So 
the two for about two and a half years he's attending sexual meetings for sexual offenders he's registering as a sex offender um he's meeting with his parole officer on a weekly basis and at this moment in early 1997 he's actually being called an upstanding parolee and he could get off parole in a little bit and she knows all that she 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 knows some of it she doesn't know all of it and so so right now he's doing everything the 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 government wants and they're they're getting what they want out of him and but she begins to say that in late 1997 he began to smoke weed out of out of nowhere and his behavior started to get a little flaky so uh that's what she noticed but backing up a little bit here to july 6 1996 so we have a date oh you know what that means when we have a date yep something bad happens it got worse that's what it means mm-hmm well in the area of marriott outside of tacoma called or an area called uh aurora avenue outside of tacoma it was filled with crime and one of the worst neighborhoods in the area a lot of drug use prostitution duncan uh while you know starting to smoke weed and going down that hill again was driving around looking for a victim or two and uh, he locked eyes on joe white uh, Sam, Sammy, Sammy Joe White or Sammy Joe White, sorry. Uh, <laughs> she was 11 years old. And her you half- said she? Yeah, she. Oh. oh. And her half-sister Carmen Kubius uh, age 9. Oh. Now, uh. I'll post pictures of the two because it, they were cute kids and they reminded me a lot of how I would dress in the 90s and um you know when you go to the mall in the 90s you know for those that are age or whatever Mm -hmm. you get those pictures like you know the 50 pictures for your friends you know with the heart backgrounds or yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah that that's the kind of picture that these two girls are in and uh it's just sad um they um they were they were struggling with their their mom and their brother that that uh you know they were basically homeless but they had just gotten enough money the mom had started a new job and the brother was trying to do some work he was older he was like 16 or 17 and and they were affording at least a whole a motel so they were in that aurora avenue motel area but the thing is the mom went out to go get something to eat whether she had to do a side job or whatnot she was gone for a couple hours the brother was out working and they they were hungry so they went out and they had been used to panhandling before and uh, they went walking down the street and uh, looking for, uh, you know, some food or some money. And uh, <clears throat> all of a sudden, Duncan saw them, turned the car around and offered them a couple bucks. Um, but as they took the money, he basically pushed them into his car and then drove them real quick over to uh, behind a, a building that was kind of abandoned. Took out a crowbar and beat both of them to death. Oh, oh my God! Yeah. So um, he wasn't trying to rape them. He was just trying to make them feel his anger or his frustration. He just wanted to kill him. Oh. So now man. he's taking it out on females because he wants to kill his mother. Something like that, because unlike the rapes of the boys, there was no sexual 
penetration or nothing. It was literally two really good hard blows to each of them over their head. Blunt force trauma. Ugh. So he takes both the 11 and the 9-year-old, shoves them in the back of the trunk, and drives to Bothell, which is on the very outskirts of Tacoma, to an abandoned farmhouse where he saw nobody around, took their bodies out, and just put them in the back of the farmhouse. And he took off back to Washington, where at that time he was still living in the halfway house with a roommate. And it came on the news about the two girls missing and the massive manhunt. This douchebag and his roommate were actually out there putting up signs for the missing girls and looking for them, supposedly. Thick bastard. Yep. That always happens. You know, it's the one. I have a story coming up, something similar. I won't say what it is, but that's, that's what it is. Like, the offender will always go pretend he's part of the community trying to help. Yeah. yeah this one this one's terrible you know what i mean like because again i mean it, it, you got to be a real extreme low life to do what you did but then also to go out there with the family and the friends and the, the community trying to pretend like you're helping that's terrible yeah so um yeah so one month later after this his troubles with the law would continue mind you he's still on parole at this time uh, he was caught by a police officer on a traffic stop for having possession of marijuana, which was a crime back then, obviously. Uh-huh. And he also had a handgun on him. So as a convicted sex offender and also someone that's a parolee for violent crime, um, you can't have a gun. So he was automatically arrested. How long was he gone for on that one? Oh, uh, he he was only out, he was only in jail for a month. Oh, oh wow! He got out again on good behavior, and um, one night he's he's going to his girlfriend's house, who he still you know had had uh, I guess a good relationship with, and he says, "Hey, um, can I borrow your car? I'm going to take you to work tonight. I'll pick you up later." She says, "Okay," and he was out. He's like, "I'm I'm out of here." And so, again, one of your parole violations is leaving the state. You can't leave the state. And he left all the way with plans to go to Mexico. So he took the five freeway, which goes from Canada all the way down to Mexico through the California, Oregon, and Washington coast. So he wasn't going to pick her up. He was taken off. Yeah, he just took her her car because the loser didn't have a car of his own. So, (laughs) yeah, he just took off. This guy is this guy is low. He is. He is. And it gets even lower, guys. Um yeah. so driving down the coast, he makes it all the way down to your neck of the woods or your former neck of the woods. He gets to Beaumont, California. Oh wow. So which was uh just outside of San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. Um there was a bunch of boys playing on bikes. And playing in the street, like throwing the football, basketball around. And there's like probably like 10 or 15 of them. Uh-huh. So he's looking at like a, can, a kid in a candy store, uh, like a super creep. He pulls his car or his ex, ex girlfriend's car over in an alley. And he's just staring at them for a little while. And then they're kind of getting a little creeped out. And then he comes over with a picture of a cat. 
And he says, uh, hey, guys, I'll give you all a dollar each. My cat, I think, has gotten into this neighborhood. And if you kids can help me find this cat, then then I'll, then I'll give you uh, extra money. Because, you know, my girlfriend was really wanting this cat back. So all the kids are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all running around, looking through trees, calling the, the fictitious name of the cat and everything. And, and uh, you know... 15, 20 minutes go by. The kids don't see anything. And he's like, hey, I'm a man of my word. I'll give you guys all a dollar. And so he's passing out dollars like he's a he's a millionaire, you know, like so these kids are all excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as they're all starting to walk away from the car, he sees a little uh, Marcos Martinez, who's six years old. He grabs him. So the kid starts to scream and he falls backwards and hits his head on the curb. So he's trying to drag him in the car. He pulls his shoe off and his brother, Michael Martinez, Anthony Michael Martinez, 10 years old, jumps up, gets in between them. Marcos is able to stagger to his feet. A couple other kids grab him, start to run away from the car. But with Anthony's heroic move, he sort of sacrificed himself. Yeah, Duncan grabs him, wraps him up uh, with a zip tie, throws him in the back of the car slams the door and takes off now all the kids run down to uh anthony and marcos's uh father's house and they start banging on the door saying what you know to the father ernesto the the man took the man took the boy the man took daniel and and so they're all freaking out or anthony michael uh, and they took anthony took anthony so the father's just enraged he tells his wife to call the police and he gets in his car and he just starts he said where they go so he gets in his car and he races off towards where the last place they saw the car. He's trying to chase a, a car that he doesn't know, even if it's the right description that the kids told him. And to his horror, like 10 minutes later, you know, like there's nothing but a freeway around. He doesn't know exactly where the guy went. And he drives around, but he, he never gets anywhere close to Duncan. And Duncan, by this time, imagine the panic in this man. Oh yeah, the, the, the guy is freaking out. That's his oldest son. And Ugh. so, so um, Duncan's gone. He's headed east, and he's in Indio, California, by now, fifty miles away. Dang! Just Dang. like that. Yeah, he's gone. Like it's like an hour later, fifty miles. He's he's freaking in Indio already. Man, teach your kids to not talk to any stranger. Yeah. And uh, poor Anthony would suffer the consequences of being a hero, saving his six-year-old brother. Um, he would be raped and murdered, uh, beaten over the head with a rock. <sighs> and left, and not even buried, just left out in the open in the Indio Desert. This guy got to go. Yeah, he got to go, man. Yep. Yep. His wing got to go. Everything's got to go. Everything. Like, Dip him in acid. Alive. I can, I can only imagine how his his dad felt, you know, racing down the street in a sheer panic, not knowing what to look for. Yeah. I mean, those minutes must have been hours to him. Oh, man. And then not only that, like later on in life marcos his brother just the ptsd from that day he still lives with that to this day Ugh. you know what i mean like like that's the last thing you see is your brother being kidnapped like that's the last the last memory you have of your brother 
So, I mean, that. that's tough. Man. So this jerk left the area and headed towards Mexico where he stayed there for a few nights. Um, he would, uh, he would write, this sicko would write a poem called Ode to the Killer because he was reminiscing on what he did to Daniel. He enjoyed it so much. He wrote an entire poem. Yeah. He wrote okay. Well, go ahead. No, it's because you keep saying Daniel. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Anthony. But but yeah, he <laughs> he kept he kept writing this stuff like you know what I mean, like just. Well, he was so proud of himself. Mm-hmm. He loved it. He loved it. Um, so a day or two later, he made a mistake though. He called his girlfriend and was trying to get a hold of her for several reasons and trying to like say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, I borrowed the car. I went on a rampage as far as like drugs and alcohol he wasn't going to say anything that what he did um but he didn't want to tell her his whereabouts but he wound up uh calling his roommate his roommate said that she doesn't want to talk to him anymore she's pissed off at him and she filed the police report so now now he's like man i need to get out of here so while he's trying to figure out where to go next two weeks later or two weeks passed by and uh they found Anthony's remains in Indio, uh, a park ranger in the uh, Indio National Desert Forest or whatever they call it, reserve, uh, found his body uh, decomposing there. And it was obviously a crime scene. So um, the problem is the Indio police really looked into that for no more than a couple days. And they were like, well, case closed. Like, like, that's cold. They didn't investigate. They really didn't investigate much. They didn't have nothing to go on. Um, they no really, DNA? They recovered some DNA because of the sexual stuff. But at the time, this is 1994, you, you, you couldn't test this stuff back then. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we move on. And um, he's not on the police radar at all. You know, in 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 Los Angeles, in California, so he's as good as is free at this point. The only thing he has to worry about is what happened with his ex girlfriend, because now you got uh, you know the FBI and the you know the um, what are those guys that always uh, chase people down? Um, geez, what are those? I always forget their names. Um, sort of like b- bounty hunters. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, they're they're gonna come after this dude. Um, his one of his girlfriends, or not girlfriends, his sisters lived in Kansas, so he drove he drove that stolen car over to Kansas. And Dang, from Indio to Kansas, from Indio to Mexico to Kansas. Oh man, yeah. So word got out. Kansas police. Uh, he was on. There was a bolo out for him somehow, some way. Someone ran the license plate, and they found out. Okay. He's in Kansas, so you had all the, you know, the FBI and stuff come down there and the bounty hunters, and they arrested him, and they took him back to Seattle, Washington for the parole violation. Had they only known that they were... What's that? Did they get him for stealing the car? Yeah, they got him for that, too. But had they only known that they were arresting a serial killer and a serial rapist, uh, they would have taken this more seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Why so, didn't taken it seriously, Todd? They didn't taken it seriously at all. <laughs> so That's he would, yeah, exactly. He would, he would, um, he would uh, start writing one of his old psychiatrists, though, that he did like from that facility, who was now in Fargo. Wait, North- wait what? Yeah, when he was arrested, he would start writing this psychiatrist that was living now in Fargo, North Dakota. Like writing to her. Writing to him. Writing to him. Okay, writing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm messing up. I'm, we need to call that teacher in from Florida. She needs to help. <laughs> I'm like, what? He started writing somebody? <laughs> yeah, it was a pen pal. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> it's been a while since I did one of these stories, stories so see, I'm messing up all over the place. But, it's all uh, good. Yeah. It's okay. You took in all your time. Yeah, I've taken all my time. I'm stumbling, rumbling, and bumbling. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, this this psych- psychiatrist was Dr. Richard, and um, he knew that, you know, he was one of the only psychiatrists that felt that he just got a raw deal. He needed to help him out. And so he would send him money for his, you know, the what the um, – Inmates have, you know, the, well, their commissary, you know, pay for their commissary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he paid for a lawyer to help him go through his parole hearings. Oh, man. Yeah, so he's trying to help him get out of there, you know. And, and uh, this man doesn't know anything about his life? He knows about his his prior sexual um, misconduct and his the rapes, you know, of the 14-year-old. But he doesn't know about the prior ones before that. He knows about the mother and he doesn't know about uh, the stuff he's done recently. Mm. So okay, had- just the one is enough. How do you help this person? Well, apparently he's a good talker because he's convinced the psychiatrist that he's reformed, that he's going to be back on his feet, and you know, like he hasn't done anything, but you know, he's made a few bad decisions with drugs and and stealing the car and breaking the parole. So the psychiatrist sure. is like, well, I think he's out. He's not a sex offender anymore, and he's this psychiatrist is stupid. Well, guess what? He's even worse because in the parole hearings, he's actually saying, you know what? Don't send him to a halfway house. Have him come live with me and my family, which he has two sons and a daughter. And the what? Judge, oh, yeah, who is yeah, this man? And the judge is like, why would you put your kids in that situation? Are you crazy? And he what? flat out denied him. That what? is so stupid. Oh, no sex offender being on drugs and alcohol and doing crazy things is going to stop doing what he does. Exactly. It's going to be worse. The hell is wrong with this person? Why did he even waste time on an ed- education? Yeah, and then you're going to put your own kids at risk? What the hell is wrong with you? What an idiot. Revoke his license. Yeah. Well, he'll he'll feel like a bigger idiot later. But February tenth, nineteen ninety eight, though a uh, transient would stumble upon upon the two uh, dead bodies in that farmhouse in Bothell. They would finally find the nine year old body of Carmen Cubius and her half sister Sammy Joe White, eleven years old. How long was that after he killed them? Two years. Dang. Dang, they probably were badly decomposed. Oh yeah, they were skeletal at that moment. Uh, Duncan was still not a suspect in either one of these murders. Um, he was in jail at this moment, but was in constant contact with Richard in North Dakota. And uh, 
and Richard at this time was still advocating for his parole. And finally, in the year 2000, Richard got his wish and from help from, uh, you know, helping his friend Duncan, he got him paroled and uh, he got him into a uh, into a apartment. He got him an apartment. Uh, he got him into uh, community college and he gave him a big loan of money and he got him a stable job. So, yeah. Hey, man. Uh, who is this guy? I need him. No, I need him to be my psychiatrist for real. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good psychiatrist, right? Hey, bro. Pull up. <laughs> Dude, if they were all like that, I would get one too. Yeah. So at the same time, when you're when you're using dial-up internet in the year 2000, you know you got mail, and uh, he's going through all these forums and writing blogs. He's writing at the same time this dude has done all this for him. He's writing blogs about harming children. Oh lord! And nobody's reporting it. Oh lord! It's yeah. like now with people and stupid Facebook that are talking about killing or doing shootings and nobody takes it seriously. Exactly. That's the equivalent. Yep. So the internet and his journal was only a outlet for so long because in March of 2004, four years after he's gotten pretty much his life together, he traveled for some reason to the Detroit lakes area of Minnesota where he pulled upon two kids under the age of 10 we don't know their names we don't know their ages he molested them in the park but he was caught 10 months later in 2005 are you serious yeah they 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 tracked him down 10 uh what is it uh 10 months later it took him them that long yeah if they would have taken a little bit longer he might have gotten away but they took him after 10 months so there you go um, but to this, the judge was like, Hey, you molested before. I'm gonna give you something you can't afford, mister. $15,000 bail. What? Yep, $15,000 bail. That's it. What about a million? Yeah. And so Richard was like, Hey, man, you're getting the raw end of the deal. You probably just had a relapse. Here's $15,000 and bailed him. Oh, Who Lord. is this man? <laughs> His name is Richard. That tells you everything. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. His name's Richard. And Richard is is a dick for this because what happens because he bells him out... Someone else gets killed. He's going to piss you off even more. Worse than before? Worse than before. This is the the coup de gras, guys. Oof. So strap in for this one. Um... Of course, Duncan skips bail and becomes a fugitive, and the U.S. Marshals are now looking for him. So while he's on the run, he starts stalking families in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is a small resort town. Mm-hmm. On May 15th, 2005, while there, he came across a family consisting of Brenda Groney, 40 years old, her boyfriend, Mark McKenzie, 38, and her son, Slade, 13, and Brenda's younger kids, Dylan, 9, and Shasta, 8. The whole family? He was scoping out this family for a couple mm. of weeks. 
Um, once he saw the family, he went into full creep mode. He purchased some zip gloves, uh, zip ties, some really thick uh, rubber gloves, and he had a handgun on him. And he snuck into the house and armed with that gun, confronted Brenda and got her, you know, like uh, tied up <clears throat> with the zip ties and then got Mark at gunpoint to be tied up as well. <clears throat> the kids were asleep, <clears throat> so he told her to call them downstairs. All three of them came downstairs and were greeted with a gun to their faces. Um, to their horror, their parents, um, you know, uh, he he began to, uh, he tied up Slade at 13 and he put him on the, on the, on the living room floor as well. So picture the parents and uh, Slade lying on their stomachs, zip tied uh, ankles and wrists. Mm. The eight and like nine year old. The what? Like hogtie? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. So, um, he then takes the nine-year-old and eight-year-old just with their zip, their hands behind their back, zip-tied, and walks them out to the car. Um, as he puts them in the back seat of the car, obviously they're screaming, but it's a remote area, so like not many people, if any, can hear the screams. But he's still rattled by this, and he runs into the house. And he begins to rummage through the house for any kind of money, this and that, because he's going to take the kids on a run. Before he does leave the house, he takes a hammer and he begins to bludgeon all three of them in the back. So he's beating Mark and he's beating Brenda and he's beating uh, Slade over the back of the head. So... So he's not done yet rummaging through the house. He puts down the hammer and he goes upstairs looking for something. Now here's a part that's going to get you to Slade is not dead. He's got massive head wounds and is bleeding profusely, but he gets up and somehow and starts hopping outside trying to get to the car. And as he's trying to get to the car, with a kid screaming with the windows up in the car, you know, they can't do anything because their arms are behind their backs. They, they witness their brother, their oldest brother trying to look like at this point, the closer he's getting to the car, the more he can't see, the more he's starting to lose the adrenaline of getting out of the house. And he literally passes out and dies in front of them yeah. as they're screaming for him to do something. Oh, no. He tried. Uh, he really tried. Uh, uh, uh. Duncan gets to the car two minutes later after looting the house of some stuff. And he tells the kids at gunpoint, I'll kill you now if you don't do two things. You got to A, shut up, and B, call me daddy. Oh. Yeah. So... They comply, and once he's convinced, he gets in the car and they speed off, leaving the bodies right there. What a bastard. That's horrible. Yep. So at this point, he drives 300 miles to Flathead National Forest in Montana, where he set up the the camp now that's completely secluded off the grid. No one else is out there. 
And by the time he gets out there, he's 300 miles away. It's like eight hours later. You know, he's setting up. Finally, police are called out there. Someone stumbles upon Slade's body in the driveway. And they find the horror of the parents in the inside dead. And then they also find the fact that the kids are missing. Mm -hmm. So now there's roadblocks all over Idaho. But it's he's already way past that. He's gone. And who's yeah. the, who's the first person they go after? Old Duncan. Nope. Oh, the the psychiatrist. Nope. Oh no. Gabby. The mom. No, they go after the the real dad. The mom's the real mom's oh, dead. Oh yeah. That's right. That's our boyfriend. Yep. They figured it was the father doing that. And he's like, bro, I'm, I was working. You know, my kids are dead. You know, like, you know, what's going on? You know, he's freaking out. So, yeah, he's, he has, Man. yeah. So, imagine that. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, imagine that. Like, you know, you're the real dad and then you're getting, you're getting accused of murdering your kids and your ex-wife and stuff and you were nowhere near you don't even know what's going on and then you find out the hard way that your kids are dead yep man so now my hate is for him and that stupid psychiatrist yeah the psychiatrist was an enabler of all enablers Mm -hmm. I hope he got some consequence that, Let's get to that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <clears throat> so um he would uh as he got them up into the forest and they got um settled in, uh for the next two weeks he would sexually rape and molest both children. <sighs> and sometimes he would tell them about stories how awesome it was to kill their mother and soon to be stepfather and, oh and, if, and if they didn't act if they acted up they would wind up just like them and then he also would say stuff like I'm so sorry the demons are in me um, we'll get through this kids don't worry about it daddy daddy's looking out for you yeah this man's a monster <clears throat> yeah oh god so you're talking about Two weeks into this whole mess, he's been doing this to both kids. Um, and at the same time, this is a national news story. The police are looking all over. I mean, it's it's, it's national and local news. There's billboards going up. There's manhunts, helicopters, but they don't know he's in Montana. Like the state, mm. the state of Idaho is like in a frenzy, but there's people that are speculating, oh, he probably went to Canada. Or, you know, they're, they're just looking for him everywhere, but Montana. And Montana is like right next to Idaho. Exactly. Exactly. So, <clears throat> like I said, a couple weeks later, Shasta, the girl, you know, she's only eight years old. <clears throat> she's using baby wipes at this point to wipe herself up and clean herself, giving herself a makeshift bath. And she hears a gunshot go off. And she runs over there She uh, to the other side of the camp. And she sees her nine-year-old brother bent over in pain, leaning against the tree, yelling. 
and screaming, he's been shot. Oh. And, and he's shot in the stomach, and his and Duncan is saying, oh, it was a mistake. The gun went off, and he was being remorseful. And then all of a sudden, it flipped a, a switch, and he picks up a shotgun laying next to the car and puts it to, to uh, her brother's head, Dylan, and pulls the trigger. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. A shotgun right on the head? Right on the head, killing him instantly. Oh, that's instantly, yeah. That is, that's oh, my God. Before he hit the ground. Yep. Jesus. So Shasta screamed, of course, and was just amazingly, like, just traumatized. And, and at the same time as she's freaking out, she has to witness him calmly grab a sleeping bag or a heavy blanket, wrap him up, toss anything, including taking her shoes off while she's still standing there frightened that had a little blood blow back from her brother's head and putting him putting it on the blanket with the body and then he douses it with lighter fluid and douse and oh gosh oh, wow in front of her wow in front of her dude i mean that's freaking heavy Ugh. so that's two weeks into the ordeal five more weeks later he's still molesting her He's still doing things to her on a nightly basis, but this little girl at the age of eight is gaining this man's trust because despite the despicable, detestable things I don't want to mention that he does to her, she's trying to be his friend and gain his trust. So she's talking to him almost like a therapist, asking about how he grew up. He's telling her stories there. You know, he's she's my god dude like she's got like a a college skilled set of like um like how you would interrogate someone or or just getting their trust as a as a detective like she's just doing all the right things as an eight-year-old so at some point in week seven she's starting to gain some of his trust so much that she's like look i just want to go home and see the rest of my family you know, I want to stay alive. I don't want to die like my brother. I know my brother pissed you off, but I don't want to die like him. I want to live and I want to spend more time with you. And he said, you know, it's time for me to pay for my atrocities. And I think I think I owe you this and I want to take you home. And you, do you think your dad will, will take you back? And she's like, yeah, but I want to still see you. And then he's like, well... We can go to Denny's, and then can we go see that new Star Wars movie I've been wanting to see? And she's like, yeah, let's do that. And then you'll take me home? And he says, yes. So July 2nd, 2005, Duncan packed up everything at the campsite, and they proceeded to go back to Quarterline, which was they left at 6 in the morning from Montana. It's a 300-mile drive, so they made it out to Denny's around... 11 or 12 o'clock it back in the same city where he killed her mom and brother and stepdad she's not tied anymore at this point she's what he's not tied up anymore no she's walking with him um there's surveillance camera of them stopping at a gas station in quarter line 
and there's also um, uh, and, and they're walking around like a father and daughter and there's also uh, cameras at Denny's when they walk in there so again this story is still huge news seven months later but not as big as it was so he felt confident that he can get back into quarter line drop her off and maybe leave or because he was telling her he was going to turn himself in but likely he probably would have just went back on the run yeah so he got into denny's and he sat down at a table and this waitress named amber dean was the waitress at denny's and she looked at the father and the daughter and they looked a little out of place like the the girl was very like you know down in her chair looking to him for any kind of approval um even when she ordered you know she had to ask in a whimpering voice and stuff like that so she found it weird and then she looked at the girl's face and she remembered a billboard outside of town and she's like oh my god i think that's the girl so she told her manager and the manager's like are you sure and she's like well i can't look over there be too obvious so she's like just call the cops anyway and so they called the cops and then they were finishing up their food the police the johnsons were taking forever they were like Oh, we'll get to that in a minute. We got a roadblock over here. We're still looking for a girl. And then the waitress, <laughs> we got the girl here at Denny's. No, no, no. We're looking for another girl. And then they finally convinced them. So finally, as they're driving back to Denny's, like the literally the freaking um, waitress, Amber, had to ask if the little girl could have a milkshake. And then the girl, the, you know, he looked at her and she looked at him and she's like, shook her head. Yes. And then he's like, okay. And because he got that milkshake for her, it stalled. They were able to stall and an extra five to 10 minutes came by where finally the police made it there. And you would be shocked that it took them that long. I mean, my God, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they finished the, the, the grand slam and everything. And then the, <laughs> they had to wait for the shake. But uh, the, the police got there. He tried to get up, and there was cops on all sides of the building, and he was arrested right there. The girl, it, she was so frightened, it took her five to ten minutes for them to keep asking her, Are, is your name Shasta? Is your name Shasta? Do you have a brother named Slade? Where's your brother Dylan? Where she finally started crying and saying, yes, I'm I'm Shasta. Damn. Poor thing. Oh, man. Yep. To go through so much trauma that little. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, um, she was, uh, the trial, the trial was tough. Um, I'll show a video too. Um, there's a video of the father getting pissed off uh, about the media because there was, while they were in the forest or in the national park in Montana, um, not only was all those things happening to her brother and and her at the same time he was not only writing a journal about it he was videotaping it oh wow so he videotaped it and he put it you know obviously they they confiscated they found it but for some reason the lawyers felt the need the prosecution felt the need to show it to the jurors oh and her own father, her real father, had to endure watching some of that stuff. And he said it was it was glorified child porn. Why would they show or subject that to the the public? And why would they show the the monster that did it his work? Which he was right. 
I agree. I, I understand his point, but I'm gonna say I I understand it, but I think as far as showing the jury, not her dad, not everybody else, but as far as showing the jury, I agree with it. Okay. Because you gotta make sure there is absolutely no chance of this bastard getting off. Yeah, there was no chance at this point because he was he pleaded guilty not only that you know to to save a long trial but he he eventually pleaded guilty to the kidnapping and the murder charges and he received a death penalty right away where the judge said you are the most disgusting person i've ever heard or seen of and you do not deserve to breathe and i wish we can carry out this sentence today dang that's my type of judge yeah that judge was not playing around um but that wasn't the end of the story. Real quick, a uh, follow-up on it on the end here as we wrap this up. Um, in California, by this time, DNA was already in the system. And now that he's in the system fully, uh, his DNA was taken. And surprise, surprise, a match a month after he was convicted to the California murder of uh, Anthony. Uh, or Daniel. I'm sorry. Oh, it's Anthony, yeah. No, it's Anthony. Yeah. They linked it to him. So... He was, and as soon as he was charged with it, he pleaded guilty right away. Um, but a surprise also is once he once he knew his fate was set and everything, he also called the uh, Seattle or the um, Tacoma area police department and told them about the two girls that he murdered as well. So um, he had facts about that to where they found out, that, yes, he was the murderer. He was there at the time and everything you know, so he, he just started confessing to it. And then when he went to trial for those, he would get more life sentences for each one of those. And um, so he had like another 500 years added to his total. And he also would claim the um, the molestations and rapes of those kids in his younger days as well. Dang. Uh, Richard went off the grid. Uh, <laughs> stop of being course. Stop being a psychiatrist. <laughs> He needed one himself. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his mind was blown after all this, uh, that he was harboring such a serial killer fugitive. Yep. Um, I think if I was his child, I'd be angry enough just for the fact that he was willing to put me and my siblings in that situation. I would hate him just for that. Yeah, he could have killed. He could have killed them. You know, yeah. That could have been the family. So I I hope he f feels the guilt of those families, you know, the members who got killed, uh, Slade and Mark and Brenda. Uh, I hope he feels that guilt because that was his. He he was the reason they died. For oh yeah. Them. Yeah, unknowingly he he was um what do you call it? Accessory to the murder. Yeah, like. Unwillingly, he he was part of his team. He sure it's was. Sad to say it, like yeah. he didn't know that's what he was up to. But it's like you already know enough about this scumbag yes. for you to be helping him that way. Absolutely. I do hope he has guilt in his heart and for the rest of his life, if he's still alive. Well, we don't know. He's he's totally off the grid. After all this stuff came out, he was. Uh, people were looking for him. Let's just say that. I, I bet he suffered. Yep. Because, you know, internet sleuths and, and uh, you know, internet keyboard warriors, too. They wanted a piece of this guy. Oh, I bet. I would have. Yeah. 
But uh, to wrap up the story in detail, Duncan would get diagnosed with a brain tumor in jail in 2019. Now, you would think, okay, he's going to die of that. Good for him. But with (laughs) how people can't get the right kind of surgery, you know, they have to go through all kinds of, you know, loopholes and, you know, this, this, this murder again, you're on death row. You're, you've been convicted. You've got 500 years. You should, you're going to be executed at some point. Now they, 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 they gave him brain surgery. Of course. Why? <laughs> well, to help him out, of course. To place it. Yeah. I would have given him brain surgery myself. Yeah. I bet you would have. A lobotomy. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, they, they, uh, they tried to get the tumor. They couldn't get it all. And uh, he was offered chemotherapy and everything else that goes with it. Again, stuff that people would kill for that are taxpayers and honest people in America gotta love yeah the- let's spend all the money that we need in other things let's spend it all on saving this mofo giving him the surgery the chemo and everything so he can beat cancer so then we can spend a lot of money to kill him correct but he's stupid but there is one twist now at the very end of the story though tell me somebody killed him horribly and violently no, actually, he he suffered. He he decided to suffer. He was offered chemotherapy, extra care, um, you know, holistic health, everything. Right? He was given. For some reason, they were trying to keep this dude alive, and they were gonna they were gonna give him all the stuff he needed to remain alive till they kill him. <laughs> if that makes sense. But um, from 2020, early 2020, when COVID started, he turned everything down. He said he didn't want any kind of uh, any kind of uh, help. He didn't want any kind of medication, nothing. So the, obviously the the brain tumor grew, and he must have suffered down the stretch because he didn't die till uh, mid two thousand twenty one at the age of fifty eight from the tumor. Okay. So hopefully that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna offer this disgusting, sick person. I don't even call him a freaking person. That's non-human. Mm-hmm. You're going to offer him all kinds of treatment to save his life when you know he's on death row, but then you got all the elderly in the home suffering, not getting the right treatment, being lonely, sad, depressed. Pretty much. Help the system, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. But that is the story of Joseph Edward Duncan III. That guy was a piece of you know what. Mm-hmm. And so was his psychiatrist. And so was his psychiatrist. I'm glad. I, I'm glad he's off the grid. I would be too if I made be such an idiot like that. Yeah, I mean that guy gave him everything, all the tools, all the tools to succeed. I hope all his family disowned him. He's a lonely ass bastard with a horrid conscience killing him. And I know he didn't think he would do something like that, but you got to imagine someone who has a history like that ain't going to change, especially if they continue to show that that behavior hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. So that sucks, man. There is um, Shasta has wrote a book about her stuff and all that she went through. I think she has two or three kids of her own now. 
Oh wow. Yeah. So um but there What's she's the book. Uh I'll have to look that up or you could look it up under Shasta Groney. But she's wrote a book. They got her story online, everything. Shasta. Mm-hmm. So but she made she made it through. But uh goddamn what it what she had to see and endure. Yeah, she's tough. Yep. She's one tough um, woman now. Wow. Yeah. If this is her, it looks like her. The pictures. Yeah. She just got tattoos now. So Yeah, she pled guilty to misdemeanors for injury on a child. Mm-hmm. So she may or may not be <laughs> completely innocent herself. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, that's sad what she went through, but then there goes the freaking cycle. You're going to go and take things out on somebody else. Like, yeah, I know things messed you up, but it's like... <laughs> I don't know. The cycle goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's sad because for the most part you see cases where people that go through such traumatic situations like you know they don't let that ruin the rest of their lives they become upstanding citizens themselves they lead good lives they're good parents because obviously you wouldn't want your children to go through that yep so this one's shocking that you it's the opposite sadly with her she survived it, but now she's getting in trouble herself. It's like, ugh. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad. I mean, like, he ruined the Marcos too. You know, like the the little brother. You know, they got that that kid's in and out of psychiatry himself, or a young mm-hmm. adult now. So it sucks, man. I mean, just this bastard ruined so many lives. How sad. I hate him. I hate him too if you believe in hell there's a special place there for him I agree but people don't get what they deserve after the disgusting things they do yep you know I I mean at least him he got raped in jail at least he got all that but still that pisses me off like he probably enjoyed it if it was me giving him the sentence and I decided what's going to happen to him, I'm telling you right now, I would dip his dick in acid while he's alive. You mean Wayne? Still sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. She meant, she meant Richard. Dick yeah, Richard. <laughs> I dip his Richard too. There you go. There you go. We're talking about the psychiatrist, Richard. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Dip that Richard. Dip that Richard. Yes. That's what I would do. I would dip it in acid while he's living little by little. Oof. So he can feel it. <sighs> millimeter by millimeter. <laughs> you He deserves no less. Yeah. There's just, you know, we've, we've had... I had... So- had someone message, yeah, I had someone message me like, "Man, you guys have, you guys have done some really horrid stories lately." And I'm like, "Well, 
this is a true crime thing. I mean, we're not going to have a happy-go-lucky one. I mean, we've had some where, you know, people escape and stuff like that. But, yeah, there these have been very, very downer episodes. Like, there wasn't too many voices I could pull out for this one. You know, there was just too much. Except crap. for the Johnsons. Yeah, except for a couple Johnsons, but that's about it. And some sound bites. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, um, this, and there's going to be even more stories that's probably worse than this because uh, me and Gabby's been watching a lot of crime stories and catching up on crime stories, and we got quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, we got quite a few. Yeah, so, so there's, there's going to be no shortage, that's for sure, coming up. The only issue is when we're going to have some time to do it. Because like we said earlier, a lot of things going on in our personal lives. So, you know, well, bear with us, you guys. Bear with us. Exactly. Might have to might have to do some lives on, on a Monday or Tuesday, dude. Those are, <laughs> are going to be my only days off right now, which suck. But yeah. Yeah. It is. It is what it is, y'all. I'll have the next story down, everybody. There we go. Well, thank you, Todd Fox, for breaking down that story of that Mr. Uh, Duncan. That, Don't call him a mister. Okay, that, that, that monster. Sicko. That monster, Duncan. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about Tim. This guy was just sick. But um, we thank you for breaking down that story, Todd. Very disturbing. Yep. Very. But uh, we're going to wrap it up. And before we do, a little, uh, let you guys know where we, you can find us again. Go on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube and just type in Grinding Two Crimes and there you can follow our page, like our page and leave a comment on our page and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. And uh, if you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine, and I forgot to mention Zencaster. And for those outside of the U.S., continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Remember, we finally have a Patreon. So go to uh, Podbean, uh, and you can um, um, leave us something on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll be Donate to the cause. There you go. To our cause. There you go. And um, with that being said, this has been another episode of The Grinding True Crime with your host, Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gab and Todd Fox. And we are signing off. Toodles. Peace. Hey, don't let this star give you emotional damage. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs>